Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. As you know, we're in a season in the life of our church focusing on crying out to God. It's more than raising the volume of our prayers or lengthening them. It's, it's about deepening our cries to God from our heart, learning to pray from the depths of our heart instead of off the top of our heads, as we've been saying. We're about a week into our 40-day prayer guide, and if you have yet to, to receive one, you can pick one up today. It's also available electronically, and through our website and through my personal social media, we have 70 to 80 other people outside of our church praying through that prayer guide with us. And then two national ministries have made it available. And so uh, we are joining with believers outside of our church throughout the United States and in some other nations, praying that God would teach us to cry out to him in a fresh way. So today we're gonna continue that focus by looking at the power of a praying church. We find a picture of that in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. In that setting, we see a great image of what a praying church looks like, how it functions, and how they impact the community around them, and that witness extends throughout the world. And so I want us to look today uh, specifically at Acts 4, 23 to 31, but for the sake of putting the passage in context, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture. And so if, if you're able to stand, feel free to stand. If you need to be seated at any point, feel free to do that. Uh, we will not consider that disrespectful, just a physical need, but we're going to read uh, chapter 3 and then through verse 31 in chapter 4, because there's so much that we have to have in mind to fully understand the text we're going to look at today. So we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And here's the pattern you're going to see. The church prays, there is power, there is praise to God, there's persecution, then there's prayer, and the the cycle begins again, and you'll see that as we read. So beginning at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That would be about 3 p.m. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms or to beg from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, 
he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or good godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From your brethren, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall come to pass that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, And the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set Peter and John in the midst of them, they asked, by what power Or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized 
that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. And they said, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a noble, notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, Peter and John went to their own companions and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the elders were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Oh, Father, how we need you to shake this place. how we need you to stir us. How we need you to return us to a glorious representation of the person of Christ. Oh, fill us with your spirit. And may our mouths be filled with the gospel that boldly we might too proclaim the goodness of the Christ who died and rose again. So Father, it's our deepest desire this morning that you would speak to us please from your word. Because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. <clears throat> and we pray this in the powerful name of the Christ Jesus. Amen. A linguistic Christian missionary by the name of Frank Laubach once said, even one person praying alone in a church 
can do a great deal to raise the spiritual temperature. Just one person praying alone in a church can do a great deal to raise the spiritual temperature. Well, if you flip that quote upside down and and you could say one person in a church that lives a life of prayerlessness can do a great deal of bringing that spiritual temperature down, that would be true as well. But you can see in this passage how hot the spiritual temperature was in the early church, can't you? They thought prayer, they responded with prayer, they lived prayer, they walked in prayer. Prayer was at the very heart of all that they did. And there's a principle here before we begin to dig into the passage that has played true in every generation where God has done a great and powerful work. And that is when God is about to do a fresh work among a people, it all begins with them crying out to him in prayer. Now, some would ask the question, do people cry out in prayer because God wants to do something or does God do something because the people cry out in prayer? The answer to that is yes. I believe both things are at work there. God calls us to prayer. We cry out to God. God answers the prayers that he's placed upon our heart and we see him manifest himself in a great and powerful way. Here's some quotes from history by men who were very familiar with a sweeping move of God. First of all, Jonathan Edwards, during the first great awakening in what we know now as the United States before it was ever a nation, he experienced the outpouring of God's blessing in his local church and throughout the nation. He says this, when God is about to bestow some great blessing on his church, it is often his manner in the first place so to order things in his providence as to show his church the need of it and to bring them into distress for want of it and so put them upon crying earnestly to him for it. That statement being true, I believe there's more genuine repentant prayer going on in our nation right now than at any time in my lifetime. People gathering large numbers, not that numbers carry much weight with God because one or two praying together has great power as well, but we do see a great stirring of God in the area of truly crying out to him. Then there's Matthew Henry. He was a Puritan that preceded Jonathan Edward, uh, Edwards by a great deal of years. He was greatly used of God. And he said, he was in England, when God intends great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is to set them a-praying. When God is about to give his people the expected good, he pours out a spirit of prayer And it is a good sign that he is coming towards them in mercy. Well, when you look at the passage, those help us to understand it, don't they? Because there in that prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 and following, that's exactly how they respond to the persecution at hand. God stirs them to pray and he moves toward them in great Mercy and that mercy spills out and overflows into thousands and thousands of lives as it continues to spread. So let's think about the story we just read. Peter and John were doing simply what you did this morning, they were going to worship at a set time, in a certain place, with the intended purpose of connecting with God. Have you ever thought about how significant that really is, that you would make that commitment? And do you understand how easy it is to lose focus in that? 
to come to worship but fail to worship? To come to meet with God but instead meet with people and not encounter him? But on that particular day, as we read, they're they're just coming to worship. And as providence would have it, there is a lame man strategically placed with a need for which he was begging. Strategically placed people asking for financial assistance is a very common scene in our world as well. They're there at the temple, they're entering and this man is placed there by someone because he's unable to walk. And as we read, Peter says something to him is very, very important in this passage that we're about to look at. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, it says in the King James. Such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. Everybody else could toss him a a penny or whatever they would give, but Peter offered him the power of God. Sometimes I wonder if we have missed the mark because we are so quick to give monetarily rather than ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. But that was the lifestyle they lived. They were living and walking in prayer. So the man rises to his feet. He's been there in that condition for 40 years. He's struggled. He's yet to understand what it means to stand up. And Peter grabs his hand, he stands up, he goes into the place of worship, walking and leaping and praising God. You would think that those who seem to be most religious would be the most excited, wouldn't you? Not the case. They were infuriated because it wasn't done how they thought it should be done It wasn't done by them. It wasn't done by the right person in the right place at the right time. They might have been Baptists, huh? The usher would have said, I don't know what you've got, but you didn't get it here. You need to settle down. And so they set out to quieten Peter and John. They threatened them. As we read, they took note of them that they must have been with Jesus because they sounded like him, they acted like him. They had power like he had. Peter tells them, you decide whether it's right or wrong for us to speak in the name of Jesus. We're gonna keep on speaking it. Then here's the great image that I want you to carry into the passage. Peter and John come back and they give a report of how they've been threatened, how they've been persecuted, and how it's not gonna get any better. And instead of the people throwing a pity party or or throwing a committee of political correctness, they have a prayer meeting. So that's where we enter the passage. We, We step into this prayer meeting. They responded with prayer. The first thing I want you to know as you enter the prayer meeting, the praying church will respond to persecution with passionate cries instead of political correctness. Look at the passage there and in verses 19 and following, they're, they're threatened. They say, you decide whether it's right or wrong. We cannot help but speak the things we have seen and heard. They couldn't quieten them anymore. All the people were glorifying God. They come back and they tell their companions and they all lift their voices in one accord 
and say, Lord, you are God. The key question that has to be answered at the very foundation of a church, if it wants to be a house of prayer and a people of prayer, is who are we going to fear the most? Are we going to be fearful of the culture or are we going to stand in fear and awe of the Christ? They had settled that issue. If you have bowed your knee before Christ, you can stand boldly before anyone else. He is the one to be feared the most because he is almighty God. So they had settled that issue. They didn't talk about how to politically and correctly maneuver through the muck of the culture. They began to move forward in the atmosphere of prayer. They cried out to God, Lord, you are God. I would encourage you, whatever your circumstances may be on your darkest day, to look heavenward and simply say, Lord, you are God who made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. That will change everything about your perspective, won't it? The one thing Satan does not want you to do is to look up to heaven. He wants you to be mesmerized by the masses and the mess around you, but Jesus calls us to look up to him and simply make that confession. Lord, you are God. Whether it's right in the sight of God, you decide we know what's right, and that is to proclaim the name of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. That was the main message of the early church. It was not just that Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world, although that is a massive amount of truth, but they went beyond that and they said he died, but God raised him from the dead. That's what infuriated their foes. Many of those religious leaders were Sadducees. They were men who did not believe in a physical resurrection from the dead. And because they did not believe in the resurrection, that's why they were so sad, you see. They didn't believe in that. And so here they're proclaiming the resurrection from the dead and that resurrection power is flowing through Peter and John. The lame man is physically and visibly healed by the power and the person of Jesus Christ and they are in a mess. And so they call them into question and say, you've got to stop doing this. We're not far from that in our culture, are we? We're not very far from people saying you can't do this and you won't do this and and we will not allow you to do this and we will face the decision. Will we say, okay, we'll be politically correct or will we say you have to decide whether it's right in the sight of God for us to do what God says or you to say, but for us, we can't help but tell the things that we have seen and heard and experienced. I want to preach the gospel unashamedly, even if I have to do so with a police record in my future. So that's what's happening here. They're going against the status quo. They're, they're swimming upstream and they're stirring the, the, the water. But the praying church raised their voices to God in one accord. The praying church will respond to persecution and they will do so with passionate cries instead of political correctness. May that be the kind of church that we are. Secondly, God uses persecution to unify his people and intensify their prayers. God uses persecution to unify his people and intensify 
their prayers. Hatred in the scripture unified some strange people. For instance, Herod and Pilate couldn't stand each other until both of them despised Jesus. These religious leaders and the Roman world around them couldn't really stand each other until they hated this whole movement called the way, referring to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. They couldn't stand each other, couldn't coexist until they found a common enemy. When Stephen is stoned as the first martyr, it says that they rushed at him in one accord. People can be unified for evil. Haven't we seen that? You can be stirred up for evil and there's great unity in that. But the greater unity is the unity that God brings in the face of evil and hatred. And that is the unity that centers on the person of Jesus Christ and the gospel which we are called to proclaim. And so here they move forward in prayer in great unity and oneness that they've experienced before in the day of Pentecost and now they're experiencing it again. They pull together in prayer and as they cry out to God, it says they did so with one accord. That means they were all on the same page. I remember a time as we were moving forward and and we were trying to find a a place of unity in the life of our church on the person of Christ. And and I found myself thinking at times, it's not just a need to get on the right page. We need to get in the same book. We need to be about the gospel. We need to be about Christ and, and the way he transformed our lives and he can transform others. And so it says they raise their voice With one accord, they were in great oneness. God uses persecution to unify his people and to intensify their cries. Here's what's happening in our culture. Some statistics show that about 30% of church members have departed from the church. Now that's across the board. Church attendance... In mainline denominations and other forms, I don't know how broad this survey was, but it shows about 30% have walked away from the church. Well, the scripture says in the last days that's going to happen. When persecution arises, there's a great separating of those who are true believers and those who may have had a false conversion. There's a, a pruning of the church and there is a remnant left in place that God can use in a greater way than a mixture of a mass of people that have no concept of the gospel. And what happens is that remnant that is scattered out throughout our nation will in a way and in a cry to God be unified in that. Why? Because God calls us to unity in that cry, unity on the person of Christ and his gospel. And as we cry out to him, our prayers are intensified because we are outnumbered in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, we are on the move together to see the gospel reign and move in the lives of people. So that's what's happening here. It's just a a small band of people. It's... It's a local worship community, a a faith family that have gathered together after the the church staff has been threatened. They come back and they say, hey, we've got problems. And, and, And the reality was they turned to heaven and they said, Lord, you got a problem. And and you can handle the problem. It's bigger than us, but it's tiny to you. And we join our hearts together to ask you to manifest yourself in this situation. Thirdly, God pours out his power among those who speak his language and seek his kingdom. God pours out his power among those who speak his language and seek his kingdom. 
Notice where they begin with their prayer. Lord, you are God. In the beginning, God. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them walking right through his creativity and his expression of that in creating the world. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, they turn immediately again to scripture. They quote a Psalm 2. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's the first part of the point. God pours out his power on those who speak his language. Do you know God doesn't speak English? He, he doesn't speak Russian. He doesn't speak Chinese or Spanish. He, he speaks a heart language that we have to use those languages to speak in. He understands them all. He, he in essence, does speak in that way, but, but I'm just saying he's not limited to that. His language is the language of Scripture. If I pray in keeping with his ways, the words are not all that important. And that's what they're doing. They're they're reaching into the vocabulary of the scripture to let that become the vocabulary of their cry to God. And when haven't you noticed when you pray scripture to him, God moves in a powerful way. You're not asking him to step outside of who he is. You're not asking him to work counter to his word. When you line up with his word, and you claim the promises that you find in his word, and you speak his language, he pours out his power. That's why it's so important to spend time in his word. We need to know where the promises are. Someone has said, camp out at the promise, and you'll there find the power. William Gurnall, one of my favorite authors, says this, when everything is bright and you're able to see, become very well acquainted with the promises of God. Because if you fail to do so, it will be like walking into a dark room where you've never been before looking for the light switch or the doorknob. But if you have been there frequently in the word of God, even on your darkest day, he says, you can walk straight over and grab the promise of God and open the door and God will come through in a mighty, powerful way. That's exactly what's happening here in Acts chapter four, isn't it? God poured out his power among them because they were speaking his language. And the second part of that point is, and they were seeking his kingdom. Think about the way you and I pray. We might have prayed like this, Lord, these people don't like us. We don't know what to do. We have tried this and this and this. We have a budget this size and and we need this. We, 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 we. We we pray we little prayers, don't we? But notice the big prayers they prayed that were were focused on his kingdom. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word. It is obvious that they're speaking God's language and they are seeking his kingdom. And when those two things come together in your life as you pray and walk with him, there will be great power that flows into your life. And if we are going to be a church that um, impacts the culture and we're gonna be a church that that prays, we gotta pray with his vocabulary we got to speak his language, and we got to seek his kingdom. That's what they were doing in Acts chapter 4. Scripture is the vocabulary of victorious prayer. 
Then the next thing in the passage, spirit-led prayer is father-focused and Christ-centered. What do you see in this passage? You see the whole trinity showing up, don't you? We worship a triune God, three persons who are one, not just one God that expresses himself over time in different ways, but three active members of the Trinity actively working in the life of this group in Acts chapter four and actively at work even while I'm proclaiming this message. Notice how it plays out here. They go into prayer. The Holy Spirit is known as the spirit of prayer. The passage ends with them being filled with the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is all over this scene. He is guiding them and praying. He's he's about to fill them in a new measure. Not that they get more of him, but that he gets more of them. They begin to prayer with Lord, you are God. Anytime there's a general reference to God, that's the Father. So they're talking to the Father, but then they say in verse 25, your servant David. Verse 27, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Your hand, your purpose, it says in verse 28. Now, Lord, or Father, look on their threats and grant to your servants that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If we pray self-centered prayers, God is not obligated to even listen to that. But if we are led by the spirit of God, our prayers will be focused on the Father and they will be Christ-centered. Do you see why it is so dangerous that people who claim to be filled with the Spirit and have the power of the Spirit of God flowing through them, that they can claim that they can get whatever they want from God because he owes them, what is that? That's a self-centered prayer. It's not Spirit-led, it's not Father-focused, it's not Christ-centered. But when a person comes to the Father in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, their prayer is spirit-led, father-focused, Christ-centered. There is great power in that praying. That's the praying that set them apart from us at times because we center our prayers on ourselves, on the church, on our family, rather than being filled and led by the Spirit to pray a prayer that is father-focused and Christ-centered. It is a spirit-led prayer only when it is father-focused and Christ-centered. Then finally, God works through those who walk with him. That's written all over this passage. To spare you of more reading of scripture, which that's not a bad thing, but we should have began in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost, shouldn't we? Peter's first sermon, the, the first prayer meeting. In Acts chapter one, it's just a, a continuation of, of this whole theme of prayer. But they're just walking with God. And so Peter and John went up to the temple. No, 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 Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit guiding them, the Holy Spirit directing them, the Holy Spirit empowering them, all of that's going on there. They didn't come alone. They came filled and empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. They were there to represent Christ and to worship him. That's why they didn't just toss him some change. They offered him Christ because that was the purpose of their visit to the temple was to worship Christ and to exalt him and to let him know that only by the power of Christ could he be healed and find fulfillment and meaning in life. I love the way the passage ends there in verse 31. And when they had prayed. Here's the deal. It doesn't say when they had planned. It doesn't say when they finally figured it out. 
It doesn't say when they, they reorganized and, and refocused, then this happened. It says, and when they had prayed. You see, until the church prays, it doesn't matter what you do. Until you pray, all your best efforts are futile. But if you live a life of prayer, if we become a house of prayer, we move in the spirit of God, guiding us, leading us, and empowering us. And our story should always begin. And when we prayed. I think about all of the seasons in the life of our church as as I've been blessed to be a part of it for 17 years. At every juncture, I believe we could say, and when we prayed, God did this. That describes everything that's happened. Anything that's good that's happened can be summed up with those words, God did it. Why? Because we prayed? No, because he is God, the creator of heaven and earth. It is his holy servant, Jesus, that we represent. It is his spirit that we seek and we follow. And he is faithful and he is good. So it says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They've experienced, as it were, a rushing mighty wind. Now the place where they are assembled was shaken. It doesn't require a physical manifestation, but that's what they had. But I'm telling you, when God shows up and you experience his manifest presence, it is a shaking experience. You tremble in his presence. The internal shaking and quivering of their hearts in reverence and awe of God was greater than the physical shaking of that building. But it happened. The place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the spirit of God. Wait a minute. I thought that happened at Pentecost. Yes, it did. You are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. He becomes the seal or the guarantee of your salvation. If you are truly saved, you will continue to walk in that. But there are times in our lives where he refills us. The command in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit is literally be being continuously being filled with the Spirit of God. Not that you get more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit gets more of you. And so here they have emptied themselves in prayer. They have laid their lives on the altar. They've said, Lord, here we are. We, we, are, we are helpless. We are hopeless without you. And they were all filled with the spirit of God and they spoke the word of God with boldness. You see, I'm a, I'm a rather timid person at heart. I mean, I I was extremely shy. I still am that way in a lot of ways. I have to just push myself out of it. But when I am filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm focused on Jesus and I'm, I'm walking in intimacy with the Father, I can be as bold as anybody in the world. It's not a personality change. It's It's a transformation spiritually that happens to us. Haven't you found that to be true in your life? If I were to ask you, are you a bold person? You'd say no. If I ever asked you, have you ever boldly shared your faith? Well, yes. Well, the spirit of God enables us. So what did they ask for in that prayer? That his hand would stretch forth, that signs and wonders might be done in the holy name of Jesus. And he says, and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word. Who's delivering this message right now? Me? No, us. You have prayed for me. You are praying for the preaching of God's word. It is a joint effort because God has called us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as as you pray, as I prayerfully preach, we do that in tandem and God blesses and anoints and empowers that. If you are searching for a way to pray for your preacher, just pray this. Grant that with all boldness, he may speak your word. That's good enough for me. 
And when they had prayed, and when they had prayed. How many times have you heard me or other pastors come to this point at the end of the message and say, let us pray? That typically means <clears throat> that we're going to bow our heads. Women are going to kind of gather their purse and their things. It's time to go. But just think about that phrase and how it could change our lives. Let us pray. But wait a minute, have you seen what's on the news? Yes, I have. Let us pray. But but do you realize how limited we are right now because of COVID? Yes, let us pray. Let us pray. Let us cry out to God. Let us plead at the throne for an outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Not that we can be protected, not that we can live in ease, but that we might see the name of Jesus exalted to the place that he deserves. That people might be drawn to the one that is lifted up by the Holy Spirit for them to view and to see in a fresh way. Let us pray. Let us cry out to God. Typically, at this point, we would have the Lord's Supper together. We're going to do that, but we're going to do it differently today. I think we need to lead into that with praying. Sometimes we talk about prayer, and then we don't take time to pray. But we're going to pray. And after we have spent time in the presence of the Father, each individual, just go back to your seat or stay where you are. Pick up those elements and say, Jesus, I thank you for your broken body. Help us to share that with the world. Jesus, I thank you for the forgiveness that comes through your blood. Help that blood to save and redeem people around us. Make that your cry to God today. Just just enter into a new depth of crying out to him because the, the church at prayer is the church with power. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.